If you've been around the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series called Habits of the House, and this is a very important series that we do some version of that we do uh, about every year, and, uh, and that we want to continue to kind of remind everybody of the values of this house, why we do what we do. And it's important that we remember that the habits we have shape the people that we become. And the habits that we live as a community of people shape the community that we become. And that our lives are ultimately intended to be a picture of God's love for the people around us. That our habits, our way of life should reflect God's character. That the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we interact with people should reflect the character of God. Jesus set this example for us in his time on the earth as his life perfectly reflected his father's life. We all have those things in our life, good, bad, or indifferent, that we know, I got that from my mom. I got that from my dad. And there should be defining things on our lives as followers of Jesus that people look at our lives and they say they got that from their father. They got that from God. The way that they love, the way that they react under pressure, the way that they value the presence of God, the way that they are submitted to scripture, the way that they pray, that they got that from their father. It didn't just come from within. It came from somewhere else. Jesus set that perfect example. But it often seems impossible it seems like an impossible task to, to, to feel the weight of I am intended to reflect the character of God. It seems like something that we could never live up to. That's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What the writer Luke is saying in the book of Acts is he's saying, listen, you need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to actually properly reflect who God is. That you need to be empowered in order to do that. You cannot do it on your own. And this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 23 and read down through verse 29. It says this. It says, The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessings crown him who is willing to sell. He who seeks good finds goodwill, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. He who brings trouble on his family will inherit only the wind, and the fool will be the servant to the wise. See, what we have to realize is that we cannot take time to talk about reflecting the character and the nature of God without talking about living radically generous lives, because we serve a God who is radically generous. And, and I want you to know, I want to give you a little inside information here is I'm breaking the rules today because they'll tell you uh, when you plant a church, they'll tell you don't talk about giving or generosity within the first year or so because, because what happens is you might scare people off if they think you're always going to be talking about money. The problem is that generosity is a core value of our house. That, that if I were to not talk about generosity, I would be disingenuous to what we actually believe in. 
that we actually believe in generosity. On top of that, I don't like rules. <laughs> I'm a fan of breaking rules. And so I feel fine talking to you about generosity this morning. But I also feel fine talking to you about generosity this morning because you don't even probably know this, and this is something that we should celebrate, but you have also broken the rules. Because another just well-known fact in not just the church planting world, but the church world is that July, we're just talking inside baseball here for a second, July is a month to be dreaded in the church world. Everybody goes on vacation in July. Everything goes down in July. July is the month that pastors just feel a sense of dread as it approaches. But not only did we have an incredible July here at Harbor Church, listen to what I'm about to say and let's celebrate this. July was the largest giving month since we launched Harbor Church in September of last year. July was the largest giving month. Now that that is abnormal. That is not normal. So since you have broken the rules, I feel good breaking the rules. And I also feel good about it because the, the problem is there's this, there's this verse in 2 Corinthians. It won't be on the screen, but where Paul is talking to the churches in Corinth, and he basically says this. He sums up what he's going to say with, be generous on every occasion. Be generous on every occasion. Now, what we like to do is we like to remove that every, and we just like to be generous on occasion. I, I will be generous on occasion, but Paul says, be generous on every occasion. And see, what I think is, is interesting about uncomfortable conversations, com conversations that make people uncomfortable, is that often uncomfortable conversations lead to uncommon outcomes, and this is in every area of your life, it is if you are willing to press into uncomfortable conversations, you will get greater outcomes. If you look at the marriage relationships or the parenting relationships or the business relationships that you have in your life or, or that you observe in the lives of others, I promise you that the healthiest marriages, the healthiest relationships are those that are willing to engage in the uncomfortable conversations. Because that is not always common. I get the opportunity from time to time to sit down with people who are in relationships that are struggling in their relationships. And at some point in those meetings, almost always somebody begins a sentence with, I wish he would blank. Or I wish she would blank. And the follow-up question is, have you told them that? And the answer is almost universally, no, he should know. Or, or she should know. The fact is that they have not yet had the uncomfortable conversation that leads to the result of a healthy relationship, of a thriving relationship. And I find it interesting that when you look at the seasons where we choose to be generous, because we all embrace generosity in certain seasons. Man, Thanksgiving and Christmas roll around and it's like generosity game on. We're all ready to be generous. And isn't it interesting that it's those same seasons of generosity that are also marked by an increase in joy in our lives. That the seasons where we actually choose to be generous are also the seasons where we have the most joy. See, I think sometimes the results that we desire are hindered by the conversations we avoid. The results we desire are hindered by the conversations that we avoid. And I, I think that it can be 
I, I think that it can be a, a tactic of the enemy to say, let's not talk about generosity because the truth is that there is an undeniable joy that marks the life of the generous. There is an undeniable joy that marks the life of the generous. And this is not just generous in finances, though it is generous in finances. It's also generous in our love towards others, our compassion towards others, what we extend to those around us. And so we have to move from just being people who are generous on occasion to people who are generous on every occasion. Because the truth is that generosity has to be learned. Generosity is not a default setting in our lives. And any of you who are parents already know this because your, par- your kids do not have to be taught how to be selfish. Your kids do not have to be taught how to take a toy and say, this is mine. Your kids do not have to be taught to, to take from others and want what they have. Your kids have to be taught to share and to be generous. Our default setting is often one of selfishness. And we do not want to, we do not default to consistent generosity. And so before we dive into what does generosity look like when it's filtered through the character of God, I want to just quickly give you a few things that generosity is not. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write these down. These are just some things that generosity is not. When we're referring to generosity, we are not talking about these things. Generosity, number one, is, is not random occasional giving. Now, there's nothing wrong with random occasional giving, but generosity is a lifestyle. It is not an event. Generosity is a lifestyle. It is not an event. Number two, generosity is not emotional. Generosity is, is not emotional. It's not something that requires you to be worked up emotionally to, to hear a great story of why you should give. And there's nothing wrong with hearing a story and being inspired and giving towards something. But, but that is not necessary to someone who is truly living a life of generosity. Number three, generosity is not an amount. It's not a certain amount. There are people in this room who could give $10,000 and that not be generous because of what they actually have. See, nobody really knows whether you're being generous or not except yourself, because you know what you have to give. And this is very clearly illustrated in the story of the widow in the New Testament. It says that Jesus is watching as people come into the temple, and they're giving their offerings. They're giving their tithes. They're bringing their money into the temple, and it says Jesus is watching. Now, this is kind of interesting, because at this time, a lot of people regarded Jesus as the Messiah. So just imagine for a moment that you're bringing your offering into the temple and Jesus, it says, is standing next to the temple watching you give. I think a lot of people would be affected by this. I think a lot of people would look at what they brought to give and think like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta increase this a little bit. Jesus is watching. He's standing right there. But all these people come and they give their extravagant gifts. They give their extravagant gifts. And then it says a widow comes and she gives two measly coins that amount to essentially nothing. And it's in that moment that Jesus gathers his disciples around him. And he says, listen, that woman gave more than everybody else. That woman gave more than everybody else because generosity is not an amount. Everybody that came before her gave more than her, but they were not as generous as she was. Because she was giving generously out of what she had, and it wasn't about an amount. And number four, generosity is not just for the wealthy. See, this is a trap that we get into sometimes. We think, of course, they're generous. They have it to be generous. 
But generosity is about living a generous lifestyle at every season of life. That it doesn't matter how much you have, you can be generous with what you have. And the truth is that generosity is a tough topic because we all really consider ourselves generous. We consider ourselves generous. If I asked you to raise your hand if you think you're generous, most of us would probably raise our hands and say, yes, I'm generous. And the reason is because we are very generous to ourselves in our assessment of ourselves. Have you ever, have you ever been like getting ready for an event or something and you look in the mirror and you just feel like, man, I have got it together today. This is just working. Everything about what I have going on is working. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Then you go to the event. You have a great time. You're feeling all of the confidence, all of the excitement. And then you see pictures from that event online. And you're like, that doesn't feel, that doesn't look like what it looked like when I looked at myself in the mirror. Something looks a little off because suddenly you see yourself in the context of other people around you and you go, man, actually, I was a bit underdressed. Actually, I wasn't quite where I needed to be because we are generous to ourselves when we're only assessing ourselves. And in life, there are these moments where who we actually are and who we say we are collide and we realize that one is not the same as the other. A, a, a while back, you know, we, 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 we think that we're very patient, and then we find ourselves sitting in traffic running late. We think that we're really kind, and then someone testes, tests our patience, and, and, and we find ourselves lashing out. We think that we're generous, but we find ourselves withholding. A, a few years back, my friend Caleb and I started playing uh, quite a bit of racquetball, and we started out, we were no good at all, and it was a little bit embarrassing, the level at which we played racquetball. We played multiple times a week, and it was made more embarrassing because across the way, on the other set of courts, there was always this older set of gentlemen who also played racquetball, like, every single day, and they seemed to have it together. They seemed to really know what they were doing, and... and we could tell that they did not really like that we were taking a court to learn how to play racquetball when they wanted all of the courts to play racquetball on. Our presence was not welcome among them. And it was very clear. They made this very clear in where they set their stuff, how they crowded us when we were out there trying to learn to play. They would, they would stand at the glass and watch us as we're trying to learn. It was just very clear. They did not want us there. And it was very uncomfortable. But a few months went by and our games got better. Like we were competing with each other and games were close and it actually felt like we were playing the game, not just chasing the ball around the whole time. And so it, it got to where it was actually fun. And then one day I showed up a few minutes early and Caleb wasn't there yet. And there was one of the guys from the old group was there and he was sitting there getting ready and I was sitting across the way getting ready. To his credit, he was the nicest of the mean guys. He was the nicest of the mean guys. And so we're getting ready and he says, uh, he says, hey, it looks like you're waiting for someone. Would you like to play? And I'm like, no. But, but how do you say no? And so I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll play. And I'm thinking to myself as I go out on the court, I'm thinking, okay, this guy is definitely better than me, but he's also older than me, and I think I'm more athletic than he is. And so I think that even though he's better than me, I think that I can like hang with him. I think that I might be able to play. And so we get in, he's like, why don't you serve first? And I'm like, great. So I serve and we go back and forth just a little bit for a second and I score on the first serve. 
And I'm like, this is it. This guy's going, these guys, I've been watching them this whole time thinking they're so much better. And this guy, I score on the serve, 1-0. I serve again, and then we volley back and forth. He wins that, so it's his turn to serve. He serves the sound that the ball made when it hit the wall at an ungodly velocity it sounded like a shotgun went off in this racquetball court. And by the time I realized what had happened, the ball had already landed behind me and bounced back up to the front. He then went on to beat me 15 to one. I never served again. I never served again. It was humiliating, humiliating. But it was this moment where where I thought I was was suddenly challenged by the reality of where I actually was and where someone else was. That, that I thought that I measured up to where he was, but I did not measure up at all. And what happens in generosity, what happens in giving is God will give us these like mile markers to kind of remind us of how we are doing and living a generous life. Because God tells us that, that he is building us into his house, that he is building us into his kingdom, into his people. And how many of you know, when you are building something, when you are building something, measurements actually do matter. That, that it actually does matter that certain things line up. And so this is why kind of at the beginning level of generosity, God gives us what is called the tithe, which is talked about in the Old Testament. Jesus affirms it in the New Testament where followers of Jesus give 10% of their income to their church, to the place where they are fed. Essentially what, what God is doing when he gives us the tithe is he's giving us an initial measurement just to say, like, are, are we being what we say we are? Are we giving how we say we will give? And I think it's significant that, that God gives us a percentage and not an amount. My pastor used to say that the reason God gives us a percentage and not an amount is because it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. That, that 10% to you, whatever you make, is the same as 10% to me. The, the amounts may be different, but our sacrifice is equal. Our, our sacrifice is consistent, that, that as a community of believers, we are equally sacrificing for the cause of Christ. And so I want to talk for a few moments about the, the generosity, or, or uh, talk about generosity through the lens of God's character. Because ultimately, we always want to reflect God's character. And, and I'm going to preach from a verse that is very well known, very understood, very, very, uh, very well known, but not always preached from in this context. It's the verse that you've seen at every sporting event. It's the verse that you've seen under people's eye blacks on the field. It's John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And, and it reveals a few things about the nature of giving. And the first thing that, that God's character reveals about the nature of generosity is that generosity is rooted in love. That generosity is rooted in love. For God so loved the world that he gave. That, that the love for humanity preceded the giving. That he first had to love the world and then he gave. See, if you want to become more generous, you have to become more loving. You have to care about more people. I'll say it this way, that love is the lid on your generosity. That you will never outgive your level of love. 
You will never outgive your level of compassion towards others. Because, because generosity is rooted in love. There's a story in Luke chapter 7 that, that we've really come back to many times over this past year because there's so much in it. But Jesus is eating with a tax collector and a woman is giving him this great gift of her love and her affection. And in Luke 7, beginning in verse 41, Jesus says, the Bible says this, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. See, what Jesus is saying in this moment is that there are some basic acts of hospitality that are given to a guest in a house in this time. That, that when you enter a home, they would wash your feet, they would pour oil on your head to cool you down, and they would greet you with a kiss. And what he's saying to Simon is, you did not give me the most basic acts of hospitality because you love little. But because she loves great, she is giving extravagantly. That her generosity is rooted in her love for me. But more than that, her generosity is rooted in the fact that she understands the debt that she was in without me. Her, her, her love is rooted in the fact that she understands that she is not standing on her own, but that she is here because of my grace and because of my mercy. And so she understands that she is coming to me with a deficit that only I can fill. And so she's giving me everything that she has. Secondly, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Notice that, that number two, generosity is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. That, that God had only one son. God didn't give something that he had an abundance of. That think about for a moment that, that God owns everything, that everything is God, that God's, that he could have chosen any means to save and to redeem you and I, but he chose to send something he had one of. He chose to send his one and only son because generosity is sacrificial. And so he gave his only son. See, I think sometimes we, we get in, in this state of mind that, that generosity is a goal that we will one day reach. That generosity is something out in the future that we will one day attain. We set it out in front as a goal that when I have more money, I'll be more generous with my money. When I have more time, I'll be more generous with my time. But generosity is just like anything else in life. We, we, we have some, some guys in the church that are now training for uh, a marathon, or maybe it's a 10K or a 5K, or maybe they're just going to run around the neighborhood. I don't know. I hear different... I hear different commitment levels at different times. They're training for something. But I think Billy is running a marathon. Is that right? Billy's running the marathon. Billy's running the marathon. And, and Billy is not just going to show up to the marathon. The marathon is in January, but he's running now. 
He's running now. It doesn't start with running the marathon. It starts with running around your block until you can run around your block. And then it starts running a little further and a little further and a little further and a little further. See, if you have a goal to run a marathon, the way you get there is you start running. And if you have a goal of becoming a very generous person, you begin by giving. You begin by being generous right where you are. See, in the same way that if I showed up to a marathon with absolutely no training, I would not have the strength or the endurance to actually be able to run that amount of mileage. And see, if you do not give all the way up until you actually have the means to give, when you see that larger amount that suddenly you're going to give, you won't have the wherewithal in you to be able to actually let go of it because you have not been consistently generous with what you already had. It's just like anything else in life where you have to begin where you are and let it grow with your ability. Let it grow with where you are. See, and this is why God gives us tithing as a spiritual discipline to give us that starting point, to give us that place where we can all enter into that equal sacrifice. Number three, generosity is selfless. It says he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall be saved. That whoever believes in him shall be saved. See, God's generosity toward us was for our benefit, not for his. It was selfless. God gave his son for us, for anyone who would call upon his name. See, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that, that God is so generous towards us, that, that when we are generous, God is faithful to give back to us, that, that, that w- what we reap, we really do so. But I can tell you this, people that live true lives of generosity do not give so that they will get back from God. They give for the joy of giving. They give for the joy of understanding the gift that they have been given. And we should also get to a place where generosity is not rooted in what it does for us, but what it does to us. That it shapes us into the kind of person that God created us to be. That it reflects the character of God. That it reflects who he is. That we would become givers so that we become more like Christ. See, generosity is not a goal. Generosity is a posture and a practice. It's a posture and it's a practice. In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, it says this. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I want you to to notice in this story that this man comes to Jesus. He calls to Jesus. 
He bows to Jesus. And then he ends up walking away. And, and what is it about this moment that, that makes someone who would believe in Jesus enough to come to him, believe in Jesus enough to call to him, believe in Jesus enough to honor him by bowing to him and worshiping him? How does this end with someone walking away from him? And it's because possessions had such a grip on this man that that was the point that he said, God, that's too much. That's too much. I'm willing to come to you. I'm willing to call to you. I'm willing to worship you, but I am not willing to give of my things. I am not willing to sacrifice what I have. See, often we are this man that we're willing to come to Jesus We're willing to call on him and ask God, what must I do to be saved? We're willing to even come together and worship him. But when he asks for our generosity, we walk away. When he asks for our generosity, we say that's too much. And isn't it interesting that in all of scripture, there is one person, there is one person in all of scripture that comes to Jesus and is described as walking away disappointed. There's one person in all of scripture who comes to Jesus and does not walk away healed, does not walk away restored, does not walk away free, but walks away of their own accord, sad and disappointed because they would not submit to the will of God in the area of generosity in their life. That in that moment, they said, that is too much. See, the Bible is full of examples of people who came to Jesus and needed healing. They are full of, of stories of people who came to Jesus and needed deliverance, needed to be set free, needed salvation. And he asked them to do something and they did it and they walked away with it. This man walked away with what he had, but he did not walk away with what God had for him. He walked away thinking he had more, but he walked away with less. And, and as I was studying this this week, I, I was convicted by this idea that if you look at where this story is placed, if you look at this moment, Jesus is saying, sell everything you have and then come follow me. This is in the midst of Jesus saying to Matthew, the tax collector, leave your job and come follow me. This is in the midst of, of Jesus saying to a group of fishermen, leave your nets and follow me. And then he says to this man, leave your wealth and follow me. And it's the same language, story after story, leave this and come follow me. And every time Jesus does that, he's calling someone into his closest inner circle of those that would follow him closest in his life. This is how he called his disciples, leave this and come follow me. And I think what we have here is a man who missed an invitation into deeper relationship with Jesus. He had the same call as Matthew. He had the same call as Peter. He had the same call as James. Come, follow me, be with me. But he got up and he walked away. See, I think what we don't realize is that when Jesus invites us into a greater level of generosity, what he's actually doing is inviting us into deeper relationship with him that he's actually inviting us into deeper relationship with him. See, something changed in this man's life during the course of this conversation because it says he came, 
says he called. And then the Bible says he got down on his knees and he bowed to Jesus. But then when Jesus asked for his generosity, his posture had to change. His posture had to change from a posture of submission. His posture had to change from a posture of submission saying, God, your will. His posture had to change to I'll stand on my own two feet. I'll I'll take care of myself. And this posture of pride, this posture of I will stand on my own two feet is often the hindrance to generosity in our lives. That I made this money, I own these possessions, I'm not going to give them away, they are mine, I will stand on my own two feet, I will take care of myself. And he left with less than what he had the opportunity to leave with. He left with less of what God had for him. See, pride will cause you to resist generosity because it distorts your view of giving. It distorts your view of giving from giving to God to viewing it as God taking from you. Pride distorts your view from giving to God to God taking from you. But see, what we have to realize is James 1, 7 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. Every good and perfect gift comes from God above. Every good and perfect thing in your life came from God. You may think you earned the money, but somebody gave you the ability to go out and earn the money. You may think that you bought the possessions. Somebody gave you the ability to go out and earn the money to buy those possessions. See, we have to shift our view of giving to realize that God is not taking 10% from you. He's giving you 90% that he, he owns all 100% and you're simply returning 10 and he is giving you 90%. That in this equation, you are not being taken from, you are actually the recipient of the bigger gift. You are actually the recipient of the bigger gift. He is not taking, he is giving. You are just returning. A couple months ago, uh, our oldest daughter, Isabella, went to youth camp. She loves going to youth camp and and um, she doesn't have a cell phone, but it's, it's the one time a year that like we need to be able to get a hold of her. And so we send her with a phone and it's my phone. It's not her phone. And before she goes, we have a really serious conversation about the phone. That you don't have a phone. You are taking my phone with you that I own, that I pay for, which means it's my phone, but you, you get to manage it for this weekend. You get to use it for this weekend. But let me tell you something. The phone is mine. I pay for the phone. Every text you send, that's my text. I can read it. Every call you make, those are my calls. I can see, I can see who you called. Because it's, it's my phone, but I'm going to let you manage it for the weekend. Those are my minutes. They're my texts. They're my calls. It's not yours at all. And when you come back, you're going to give it back to me because it is mine. See, I think what we have to realize is all of us in this room, everything you have is his. He has just given you the opportunity to manage it for a season. He has just given you the opportunity to use it for a season. See, it's, it's not a question of whether you are not, or whether or not you are a steward. It is a question of whether or not you are a good steward. 
You, you are all stewarding something God gave you. You are all stewarding finances that God gave you. You are all stewarding children that God gave you. You are all stewarding relationships that God gave you. It is not a question of whether or not I am a steward. It is a question of whether or not I am a good steward or a bad steward. We are all stewarding what God gave us. And so today for us, the questions that that we have to walk away asking ourselves is, does my life reflect the character of God in the area of generosity? Does my life reflect God's generosity towards me in every area? What are the areas where I have been stingy? What are the areas where I have been withholding? What areas have I put more trust in than I put in God? Have I held too tightly to my money, to my time? Have I, have I held too tightly in my relationships to giving love? Where have I been stingy? Where have I not been generous in my finances, in my forgiveness, in my resources, in my patience? Where have I not reflected the character of God in my generosity? Where have I received from God that I'm not giving to others? Because see, what we have to realize is that everything God blesses us with is not meant to stop with us. It's meant to flow through us. If you've gone through culture class, you know that we say you don't just give to Harbor Church, you give through Harbor Church. That when you give to Harbor Church, we then turn around and we give to things all around the world to continue advancing the gospel. The same should be true for each and every one of our lives. The blessings of God on your life should not stop with you. The blessings of God on your life should flow through you. So the question is, is what God is getting to you also getting through you? Is what God is pouring out on you getting to others? Is what God has blessed you with blessing others? What have I received from God that I am not giving to others? And some of this is extremely practical. You need, you need to, to look at your own life. You need to look at your own finances, your own time, your own relationships, and ask yourselves these questions. If you're married, you need to have a conversation. It's, are we being generous with our finances? Are we being generous with our resources? Are we reflecting the character of God in our marriage, in our relationships, and in our finances? And if not, God, would you show us those places because I truly believe as we, as we started this morning that generosity and joy are intrinsically linked. You, you've never met a stingy, joyful person. You can see it on their face. Somebody that's stingy, man. You can, you, you've never met a stingy, joyful person, but let me tell you something. Have you ever met a generous person that is not joyful? Generosity brings joy. And so I think for some of us, the, the joy that we are lacking in our lives is tied to our level of generosity. It's tied to what we are holding tightly to. And I think God is calling us as a church to open our hands and say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. And so we are going to be people who are faithful to return it to you. That everything that we have is from you. And so we give it back to you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?